Welcome to the Synapse Nips podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life. Welcome to Synapse Snips. It's Dr. Troy Spurl here, and I'm with Dr. Josh today and Marky, and we're here to talk a little bit about uh, the importance of the head, neck, and jaw dysfunction and all the weird things that can come from that. So we'll just start by saying, general statement here, that over the years, uh, I have uh, personally found that when we get this area of the body balanced, uh, it can really help with multiple other things within the body. So it happens so slowly over time as far as dysfunction in these areas that people don't even know that's happening. So I just want to talk, have a little discussion about some of the things that we have seen and the importance of it so that people can start to identify when there might be a problem in these key areas uh, of the body. Wait, so wait a second, Troy. Yes. <laughs> oh, I don't like when he starts like this. <laughs> As chiropractors, yeah. um, I thought that we'd just crack necks to make them feel better. No. <laughs> That's a good... I get that a lot, thought. though. Yeah, I know. Right. A lot of people do think that. That's actually a very good point. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go to chiropractors for pain relief. Yeah. But the reality is, um, when you make an adjustment, the adjustment itself stretches... Muscles that are tight, usually, and with within that muscle, that tight muscle, are nerves that send signals back to the brain, and then that part of the brain sends signals to other parts of the brain and body, and so there's this dynamic effect that occurs just from the muscle stretch. There's also receptors in the joints that will send signals to different parts of the brain and the body. The most important thing, though, is what happens an hour after the adjustment. When this person starts walking and starts using those muscles in different ways, they now are sending different signals back to the brain, resetting and regulating different functions within the body. So you do see, ultimately, changes in digestion, changes in pain, changes in blood flow, especially when you combine it with other positive, healthy lifestyle changes like exercise, eating right, and all those other good things. So so it is a little more than... (laughs) than just getting people out of uh, pain. And you know what? I'm going to say one other thing because people will talk about chiropractic and they say, I don't like cracking the bones. And I always I always have to go into the explanation of what actually happens when you get an adjustment. So for all the visual people out there, I want you to visualize uh, when someone's like kind of popping their knuckles a little bit or when you do a chiropractic adjustment, what actually happens is when joints are aligned perfectly and you stretch the muscle, you just get a stretch on that joint of the muscles. When the joint is not aligned properly, then you get this little cavitation, this sound. And that popping is actually because the joints are suction cupped. And when you stretch the joint and the suction is not strong enough, it'll actually release and you get this release of gases and airs, mostly nitrogen and a few other gases in there. And so the sound is actually the sound of the suction cup, if you will. So it's not your bones cracking. It's actually the space between your bones making an audible sound. 
So sometimes if you just get a stretch in the muscles, there's benefit. You don't even need to see the uh, hear the audible sound. And sometimes uh, you do need to hear the audible sound to get benefit um, because you're getting a full release. And uh, some of the studies that are out there show that the bones will actually kind of flip. They'll be stretched and you get the sound and then they'll come back and settle in place, especially with a trained chiropractor uh, who has a good skill set as far as adjusting them. So, um, and remember, it's the muscles all around that joint that determine the pull on the joint. So when your muscles are out of balance on the left or the right, the front or the back, um, then that's when we start to see the, the bones misalign. And we call those subluxations as chiropractors, and that is different than a medical subluxation. In the medical world, a subluxation is almost like a dislocation. Whereas in the chiropractic world, a subluxation is just means not perfectly aligned. And so big, big difference there. So thanks for getting us on uh, on that uh, topic. <laughs> yeah. But that is something I get asked a ton. Oh, so yeah. it's important. Especially people coming in that don't have neck or pain-related primary issues. We've got right. a lot of people where their issues are more metabolism-based. Yep. And a lot of them have never been to a chiropractor before. They don't have any concept of why that would be important. And I deal with this a lot, trying to educate people on why why we do adjustments, even though your primary issue is a neck pain. Yes. Yeah. And so we're going to go into uh, a variety of, of those topics, the kind of the things that we don't typically think of that are improved and helped by neck and jaw and head and cranial alignment more, yes. more than just the physical stuff. And so I think we should start off with an explanation, too, of when you're looking at somebody for the first time, they come into your office, we're doing an examination, head alignment is, is dictated not just by that area itself. So what are the different factors that you look for when you're assessing a person's head and neck and jaw alignment? Well, uh, great, great question. And I think uh, I'm going to start just a little bit with a, a short story on cranials. So... Many people know that when you're a baby or you have a baby, their cranial bones actually move and shift. But at a certain point, they fuse. And so uh, when we talk about cranials, we're not talking about actually physically moving the cranial bones because they are fused. But they actually flex about 0.03 microns is what was actually measured. And uh, there's a gentleman who did a test on himself and tried to reduce that 0.03 micron movement and unfortunately he passed away from the studies because we need that movement um, as a part a vital part of our overall integrity and so what we're really measuring is the muscles that are pulling in around the head so even though we have uh, they're very very thin they're very small they will pull and if you don't know what i mean if you've ever had a stress headache that's from muscle tension in your temples pulling too much so it takes very little contraction now, if they're spasmed, like other muscles are tight in the body, you'll start to feel cranial tension or pressure. And it can manifest as a headache, but a lot of times, before it even gets to the point of a headache, it just causes a decrease in how much the bone itself is flexing. With each breath, deep breath, we do see a 0.03 micron change or flexion in different areas uh, of the cranium. Now, when there starts to be dysfunction there, uh, we'll see consequences to the entire body in different ways because the nerves that come from those muscles, when they feed back to the brain, they feed back to the brain stem, which is very important for a lot of our reflexive properties within the body. So it's kind of like if you're in a race, they say ready, set, go. 
this area of the brain is like the ready set part. So it's priming a lot of other functions. So deep breathing helps with cranials, but the cranials, if the muscles are out of balance and the cranium kind of shifts a little bit because of that muscle um, tension irregularity, the jaw literally lines with the cranium and then the neck, the cranium sits on top of the neck. So they all integrate within the same part of the brainstem. So when there's problems with one, if it goes unaddressed, it'll eventually cause problems with the other stuff. So what we look for are the different things that it can affect it downstream. So I'll just, I'll throw out a couple and then uh, um, get your thoughts on a couple other ones there. But the number, one of the big ones is when the TMJ goes off, the, it's very much linked to migraines and headaches. So a lot of people will have uh, problems with stress or something that causes jaw clenching and then the, the TMJ stands for temporal mandibular joint. Um, the jaw itself can actually shift, not become aligned. Uh, it can sometimes compress a nerve bundle, bundle that's in the actual uh, joint or just above it, uh, or it can wear on the joint itself, or you just have a muscle spasm uh, in a muscle called the internal pterygoid that needs to be released. Either way, it can set off headaches and, and migraines. So it's one of the first things we check with someone with the headaches is how's their jaw doing. Uh, other cranial stuff we see uh, can even be digestive dysfunction, pelvic instability, and maybe we'll go through that in, in a little bit. Um, but is there anything else that you tend to, to look for when um, someone comes in and you're suspecting jaw or uh, cranium instability? Yeah, I, I will. There's... Um from a physical and then from a brain perspective, both. I think the the physical part of it, everything is so connected that it's kind of a chicken and egg. Uh, it's a bit of a dance in trying to figure yeah. out what exactly is the primary cause of the, the dysfunction because you might have jaw imbalance or, or cranial bones that, that aren't flexing properly, but the actual cause of that might not be in that area. You right. mentioned pelvis. I think we should go to that now. But when... We assess muscles and, and joint function throughout the whole body, even for somebody who does have headaches, because it could be where the low back and the pelvis, if that is shifted improperly, that you get a compensation up further on in the body that's going to cause the jaw dysfunction. Yeah. If your pelvis rotates, people, it, it literally kind of twists to the side. If your upper body followed that, you would literally, as you're walking straight, would be facing off to the right or facing off to the left. But that doesn't happen because your brain counter-corrects because of what you visually are seeing. So you end up getting a counterbalancing torque the opposite direction, which sets up anything from mid-back pain to neck tension to the jaw and cranial dysfunction. Yeah. The other thing then that I like to look for are, I'll call them cranial nerves. And we won't go into great detail here, but most of the nerves coming out of your brain go down the spinal cord. Yeah. Everybody's kind of familiar with that idea. Some, of the, some nerves come out of the brain differently. They come out little holes in your skull. These are called cranial nerves. Probably the most uh, approachable one is, is your eyes. Your eyes really are just a big cranial nerve. Yep. They're the same with smell and tongue movement. There's a lot of them. And assessing those, and you do anything from looking at eye movements, looking at really tongue and, and palate and digestion because there's some things going on there, that can give you a sense also on the, the function and the integration in the brainstem. Yeah. Because if we've got issues with those nerves, we can do several things. We can try to exercise those nerves directly, 
or from an indirect perspective, work on the areas that are going to feed into that part of the brain. And that's really the head and the jaw and everything we're talking about. Yeah, and you'll see uh, facial asymmetries too. Like uh, when someone smiles, you may see the, the smile go up higher on one side of their face than stay lower on the other side. You'll see when they raise their eyebrows, one eyebrow might be a little lower than the other one. Uh, their pupil, one might be bigger than the other one. So all of these facial asymmetries are controlled by some of those nerves in the brainstem and give us good clues. That's why sometimes we, we like to have fun. I hear, I hear laughter coming from your office a lot and from the other offices. But one of the things, whenever I see someone come in and they're smiling, I look at their face and it gives me clues as to cranial nerve dysfunction. Then when I get them laughing, because all of my jokes are funny. (laughs) (laughs) See, that was a fake laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a real one. (laughs) So there's a difference when you do a smile and let's call it a fake laugh. That's actually a different part of your brain than when you're actually laughing and so you can see some of these asymmetries. So paying close attention to um, facial expressions, you can actually learn a lot about a person and their cranial nerve dysfunction. And if you want to get good at it, just, you know, go to family parties and gatherings and stuff, look at people's faces and start to recognize the, that there's patterns and uh, actually don't do that. That'll wreck, that'll wreck <laughs> yeah. you for the family gatherings. But it's a lot of fun when you start to, you know, piece it together as far as knowing that the body gives us clues all the time, and the face in particular is just loaded with good information as far as how the brainstem works. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on and talk a bit about some of the um, outcomes of more outcomes of the dysfunction in this area. We've got several listed here. Yeah. But I think we should talk about digestion briefly too, because that's not probably it's it's far away from your head, so it's not a well appreciated connection. Yeah. Um, the way that this is connected is primarily, although not completely, but primarily through a nerve called your vagus nerve. Some people have heard of that before. Yes. That's the nerve that does the primary action of what would be called your rest and digest part of your nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. Right. When that's working properly, you'll get uh, good control of, of throat muscles, yeah. of lung and, and heart function, and then digestion. It's very easy in our society for that nerve to become dysfunctional yes both from a stress but then also from a physical perspective those nerves when they come out of your head they run along the ropey nerve the ropey muscles in the front of your neck those are called sternocleidomastoid muscles and even dysfunction in the neck causing tightness in the muscles in that area will affect the vagus nerve yeah and we this is one of the things we commonly see with kids so uh, when kids have like an aversion to swallowing pills, they, they can't take their supplements because they, they literally like choke and the gag on them. Um, a lot of times that comes from inflammatory digestive system, but a lot of times it comes from the cranial dysfunction and uh, they already are establishing a uh, tight neck muscles secondary to the cranials or the jaw or the digestive inflammation. But it also helps, the more you can get the head and jaw balanced, it can actually help with the nerve output, which stimulates more blood flow and nerve flow to their digestive system, making them less susceptible to food reactions, making them less susceptible to food intolerances. Um, genetics are, of course, an important role in that. But the more balanced we are that way, the less challenges we do see. And so, um, and again, one of the things that helps cranials without seeing someone who specializes in cranials is deep breathing and running. 
So kids that are more physically active, although they may hit their head bumping into things, tend to have better cranials, which tend to improve their brainstem function, which tends to improve their ability to digest things uh, better. So there are there's a lot of value in just getting that breathing, and uh, especially when you combine it with um, good, healthy uh, food and diet. I like working with kids for the, for this reason. If you have a kid that is coming in, every once in a while, I've had a few this year where a kid will come in and they've got digestive issues. Yeah. And this, this doesn't always happen, but very often we'll have them come in for one visit. We'll adjust them. We'll palpate their abdomen and look for spasms in the abdomen. We might make a tweak or two on diet. And then it's like, oh, well, that made a huge difference. And yeah. the physical components of that, the adjustments and working on the head and, and then working on kind of the output of that vagus nerve very gently and, and it doesn't need it. It doesn't need a lot. It, yeah. almost, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Much easier than, than adults who, it is. who have let yeah. it go for 30, 40 years. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it adds up over those years. Yeah. Um, since we've talked neck muscles, I think we should talk about another um, side effect of imbalanced neck muscles, which is sleep. Yeah. Sleep uh, and imbalance in neck muscles. Uh, what we like to talk about, there's different types of sleep. Um, well, there's a lot of different types of sleep disorders, and I know we've discussed that on the podcast before. We should discuss again, I think, a little bit about the um, oh, I always, upper airway. Upper upper airway yeah. resistance. I always want to call yeah. it something different. I, I get obstructive yeah. sleep apnea and all these terminologies uh, flipped in my head. But describe a little bit how the muscle imbalance that we just discussed is going to set up, set up the sleep disorder. Yeah, so your the airway itself um, is um, just think of a large kind of opening when you uh, open your mouth and say ah. There should be a nice visible opening there, and so with kids in particular, and even with adults, uh, that airway can be obstructed. Now, with kids, um, it can be their tonsils that are swollen, and that will cause a sleep disorder. And one way, especially if your your child is still having a problem with bedwetting a little bit later than normal, almost always that's a lack of oxygen and a sleep disorder from tonsils or what we're about to talk about with their their jaw, cranial, and digestive dysfunction uh, and their airway. But when that airway that airway is surrounded by muscles, and the tone of those muscles is dictated by, uh, in part, mostly by the uh, brainstem that we're talking about. So you have to look at all the things that can influence that. Stress and tension can influence the tension of our neck muscles. Digestive inflammation sends a reciprocal uh, or a, a visceral somatic reflex, we call it, back and causes tension in the neck muscles. Uh, and then the way the, the body works, this is a very much an oversimplification, but uh, picture your arm muscles. If your bicep is being flexed, the nerve is sending a signal to contract that muscle, but at the same time, it sends a signal to relax the tricep muscle to allow that motion to occur. If the muscles behind the neck on the back, just under the head, under the occiput, are tight for any reason, it can send a reciprocal inhibition to the muscles on the front where they actually get weakened. But because we use them all the time, they, they get tighter too. That's a bad scenario where you get a little bit of tension with weakness. So what happens is during uh, sleep, their airway will kind of collapse and they temporarily don't get oxygen. Very similar to enlarged tonsils um, where they just, you're not getting the oxygen. And I've only been in, uh, in practice for uh, 20 plus years, but I'm pretty sure oxygen is important. <laughs> I haven't learned that yet. No, that's well, we'll talk about that <laughs> in the next podcast. The importance of oxygen. 
So it's it's one of those scenarios where um, uh, getting identifying the different variables, different things that can cause that tension in the back of the neck. Um, that's uh, in fact causing the the airway to tighten and weaken. Um, that's what we want to identify. Now, jaw tension can happen as well in TMJ, but that's more common in adults. Tonsils more common with kids. TMJ from chronic stress or chronic pelvic instability, core weakness, uh, or just inflammatory uh, diet and lifestyle can set that off. So we want to start to look at the different things that can cause that uh, upper cervical tension. And the name of the disorder is upper airway resistance syndrome because there's just not enough room um, for the true expression of, of uh, oxygen getting through there. Um, other things that swell our airway can also do that. Allergies, sinus problems, and so that's how we develop these sleep disorders. And we've talked about this before in the past, but Stanford University has 102 diagnosable sleep disorders, and people know maybe four or five, and that's all we look for. And if you can improve your ability to sleep deeply, it's a game changer for the rest of your life. All right, let's go to another side effect of tight muscles that I like to talk to my patients about, and it's lymph flow. Lymph, as a refresher, is the garbage collection system, essentially, and a big part of your immune system within your body. Yeah. When your cells, your body cells, if they need to get rid of a toxin or if they die and there's debris or there's an infection in the area, that junk can't just get put back directly into the blood. That has to be funneled back up to a spot near your collarbones, or even if it comes from your big toe, it's got to come all the way up to your collarbones in order to get back into the blood. It goes through lymph nodes and it goes through other places, but it has to drain in a very specific location. Because of its location by the collarbones, tight muscles in that area are going to cause a traffic jam of that flow. And lymph backup, whether it's regardless of where it is, whether it's swelling in the feet or uh, lymph or glymph uh, flow from the brain yeah. uh, back up in, a, in a, a traffic jam for those areas is, is very concerning. Yeah, if you want to feel less brain fog and less body weariness, make sure your lymph is, is moving. And, and lymph literally is Greek for fast-flowing river or fast-flowing waters. It's meant to be this river system that collects the garbage and takes it downstream as it gets up closer to our collarbones, though, it takes a U-turn. So it goes against gravity and then starts to turn and come back down and gets uh, uh, filtered out of our body. And so if you have a sluggish lymph system, and let's say there's not enough water, you're dehydrated, you're trying to push garbage up against gravity and then um, expect your body to actually cleans itself out. It just is not going to happen while you're upright. And then you go to sleep at night and guess what happens? You've changed the position. So now you're laying on your back or on your stomach and things will start to move a little bit and you wake up with all, all full head congestion and that's lymph. That's your lymph. That means it's not draining properly during the day and you have excess amount at nighttime. So if you wake up with like bedhead or, deadhead or just kind of foggy in the morning and then it clears within an hour of getting up and moving around that's excessive lymph that's the early signs of excessive excessive lymph so you have to have the water flowing and guess what pushes our lymph muscle contraction if you don't use your muscles you don't push your lymph 
And so you have to be using your muscles uh, daily to push the lymph. And then certain things like the muscle tension in the neck and around the collarbone can literally pinch off the system, if you will, and cause a narrowing where it's hard to push the lymph through. And of course, we don't want to add more garbage to our lymph system. So what types of things slow down the lymph system or add are excessive that we should avoid? Well, sugar is a big one. Dietary factors yeah. are huge. Uh, things that we can't control as much are infections. That's going to be a role. But anything that's toxic. Yeah. Anything right? your body can't anything, use. Anything your body can't use. And that can be environmental toxins, mold toxins, like we said, infections, whether it's from the gut or from a tooth or something of that nature. Yeah. Uh, but dietary factors and inf- inflaming foods. And you mentioned the hydration part. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. The... Um, I think one other thing then too, we mentioned sinus brief, or mentioned lymph brief, briefly in sinus. I, I want yeah. to talk about sinus and sinus infection and, and teeth. This is a, another area that we assess and we assess it in a few ways. Uh, one, one way is through thermography, which is a, a thermal imaging system. Another is through um, the, we said just the, the palpation of the area. We have some way of assessing sinuses. Sinus drainage, poor sinus drainage, and tooth infection, if, if there is an infection allowed to fester in those areas, that can have wide-ranging body effects, too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the sinus one in particular, when your sinus, when your cranials are kind of torqued, when the, the neck itself is tight and torqued, um, there's literally uh, holes that uh, are meant to help uh, drainage from the sinuses. And when things torque a little bit, that hole kind of shrinks a little bit. And then if you eat anything that's inflammatory, the mucous membrane swells a little bit. And that can completely um, plug up that hole. Now, you will recognize this. When your hole is completely plugged, that's a sinus headache. That's what you feel with the sinus pressure because now you can't drain properly. The pressure starts to build in the sinuses. And although it feels like there's a jackhammer going on inside that part of your head, it's actually such a minute amount of mucus that does that. It's less than the, the than an eraser head uh, full of mucus that that can cause that entire scenario. It's kind of like a bathtub drain where all of a sudden the, the the drain itself has shrunk, and there's something that got stuck in there and plugged it, and all of a sudden the bathtub can't can't drain properly. That's what's going on in our sinuses when we have that physical torquing of the cranials. That's when we have inflammation in our GI tract or a, a sinus infection because the infective ingredients and the immune system's reaction to that infection end up plugging the hole. And so we can take, you know, sinus decongestants, which kind of shrinks the, the, uh, the mucus from swelling, but it doesn't take care of the other problems, especially the physical problems. And historically, I always kind of talk to my patients that have struggled with kids with ear infections, and I tell them with all my kids – we never had one ear infection. That's because we minimized their inflammatory foods that they were eating when they were younger. Uh, and when kids are younger too, they have uh, um, their canals are actually a little bit more flat. And as they grow, they become more at an angle and can drain easier. So they're more prone to ear infections when they're kids. But uh, none of my kids end up with ear infections because the, the second they started to get some of the ear pressure or pain, we did some adjustments with their cranials and their head, and n- none of them turned into um, infections. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but generally speaking, with my patient load too, we, we've seen that that we can prevent ear infections when those things are balanced. 
All right, to wrap up this conversation, what are some other tools that you give your patients uh, to help correct the instability that we, and whether it's something they do at home or something we do in the office, correcting the instability in the neck and the cranials and the jaw or even the lymph like we talked about? So a good thing to do is keep your water levels up. Fasting is actually good because it helps with the digestive part of uh, inflammatory stuff. It just reduces your inflammation load and allows your immune system to catch up a little bit. And then physical activity. As you are improving your physical activity, especially core and pelvic stability, and one of the ways you can tell if your pelvis is off, lie on your back, close your eyes, and just let everything kind of settle where it settles. Then open your eyes without moving or have someone take a picture of uh, from, your, from your head looking down at your feet and just take a, take a look and see how your feet are falling. If your feet are both, your toes in particular, and feet are turned out about 45 degrees on both sides and they're equal, that's a good sign your pelvis is probably doing okay. If one is different than the other, you're probably torqued or twisted. Uh, but don't worry, um, that's my, one of my standard jokes with my uh, female patients is when they come in here, I just call them uh, a twisted sister. And so they all, they all give a courtesy laugh like that. Yeah, that's perfect. Because <laughs> not really funny, but <laughs> I've been saying it for 20 years, so... Um, that's one way to tell if there's a, a pelvic torquing that's going on and, uh, stretching and exercise and restoring your, your core can correct it on its own. Or sometimes you do need some, uh, some chiropractic, uh, support with that. Um, and then digestive inflammation is key. Identifying for t- tooth infections is really hard because, uh, tooth infections left unchecked, uh, can, um, well, in worst case scenario, even contribute to breast cancers uh, and later in life. That's just not women. That's men as well, um, as well as headaches. And it can kind of uh, keep your immune system busy and, and make you more prone to other infections and immune regulation issues. And I do recommend one of two things. A cone CT scan through a dentist who knows who has that in their office can detect uh, those infections. And thermography are two ways that can actually help with, with that part of it. So uh, just have heightened awareness. Deep breathing is always great when it comes to the cranials. Uh, and then when you are checking jaw function, if there's a clicking in the jaw or if you have headaches, uh, brain fog or sluggishness just in general, those are all signs that there could be something off with those areas. And just we ask that you do something um, that I just talked about or or get uh, seen Uh versus ignoring it because uh, a lot of times it doesn't go away unless you're doing some of these other things. So I think that's, uh, that's good for this, uh, this segment, short but sweet today. And a really important topic though. And as always, uh, heightened awareness of what's going on with your body. We want you to pay attention, but not to be so obsessed that it causes anxiety or a stress response, please. And uh, we just thank everyone for all the feedback we're getting and for sharing this with family and friends. And uh, we look uh, forward to doing more in the future. Send your your uh, topic ideas to where? <laughs> <laughs> the website, yep. uh, officialsynapse.com. Our media section, there's a podcast area. Uh, there is an area on the bottom where you can submit you know, topic requests. We take those seriously. Uh, the three of us sit down before we do these podcasts and we look at that list and say, hmm, what do we want to talk about today? So we do, we do uh, take those seriously. So thank you for sending those in. Yes. Take care, everyone. Have a good rest of your day, good rest of your week. 
Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialsynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Nips podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.